Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You guys, I have a huge surprise today. What? We have a really special guest. Who? I'm not going to tell you. You're going to have to wait. We're going to have to like wait how long? I mean, like wait until like he appears, but who do you think it's going to be? I don't know. Uh, is there going to be fanfare? It's Tom Brady. Is there going to be, <laughs> oh, be a, if. Are we going to have a sponsor? Like uh, maybe Me Undies shows up finally? It's is the Me Undies man. Coming? Harry's Razors <laughs> with Tom I, Brady. Having secretly known, um, because at NSA, of course, I read all of Shane's emails. <laughs> I... Uh, <laughs> I really think this is rational security's breakthrough into like real legitimacy. It's as... a celebrity? Is Kim Kardashian coming? You know what? It is it, it's a it's a rational security celebrity. It is. Oh, wow. That's a national fine. security celebrity. Let's find out. Hello and welcome to Rational Security, the Guess Who's Coming to Dinner edition. I am Shane Harris of the Wall Street Journal. I'm here Getting ready for our very special guest. We're in the Jungle Studio with my friends Ben Wittes, Tamara Kaufman Wittes, and Susan Hennessy. Hi, guys. Hi. Hey. Who is it? Who is it? Who You're is on it? the edge of your seats. I want to know. Today on the podcast, we are going to have Senator Chris Coons of Delaware. Awesome. Whoa. He is our like a real elected official. An actual elected official. I don't know. Maybe somebody here was elected to like dog catcher or their condo board. Never. Ever. I always never. ran for I, student government and lost. Yeah, me too. I, me too. I, I never got elected. I never got elected to things. <laughs> Yeah, so this is our first actual elected official. Because we've um, had other guests. We've had like Jonathan Rausch a bunch of times. Yeah. And oh, come on. This is our first this congressional our first, like, guest for sure. I'm Jonathan, with all yeah. due respect, he's not legit because he's right. never gotten one statewide. Yeah, we're being fully endorsed by a U.S. senator. Maybe he wouldn't go that far. <laughs> <laughs> yes, everything we've ever said in the past or future. <laughs> Apologies in advance as he gets ready to come on the show. You Maybe may for the this, last sir. time. Maybe for want. the last time. Um, but actually, why don't we go ahead and get right to it? Um, joining us by phone is Senator Chris Coons. Senator Coons, welcome to Rational Security. Well, you are our first lawmaker, our first senator. You're our first, your most special guest that we've had so far. So we're really glad uh, that you could join us here today. Um, I wanted to start out by asking you a question about an essay that you wrote recently uh, in Democracy, uh, where you laid out your hope for areas where there could be a bipartisan approach to foreign policy, and specifically on ideas like development aid, working to shore up fragile states, possibly working towards a new legal underpinning for the fight against terrorism. Um, you wrote that essay before the inauguration, and I'm curious now, two and a half weeks into the new administration, are you still hopeful about those views, uh, or how have things changed from your perspective? Uh, well, Shane, thanks for a chance to be on. Uh, and you're right, the Democracy article that uh, I published uh, suggesting five different areas where we might find bipartisan progress in foreign policy and national security was initially drafted before the election. Uh, so I had to do some quick uh, revisions. Uh, and at that time, there really was not enough known about uh, what President-elect Trump's actual views on foreign policy would prove out to be. In the course of his campaign, he had certainly said a number of 
concerning or even alarming things uh, about uh, Vladimir Putin and Russia, about our NATO allies, uh, about the nuclear umbrella and uh, our view of his view, excuse me, of South Korea and Japan. Uh, I could give you a dozen others. Um, and it just wasn't known yet what direction he might take. Um, he's been president now uh, more than two weeks, uh, and I'll say it's been a roller coaster ride. Uh, he has conducted some diplomacy by Twitter and phone call uh, that has uh, created real distance or challenges with some of our allies uh, and has, I think, emboldened some of our adversaries. So it, it's been a, an uncertain two weeks. Um, but I still remain optimistic about several of these areas where uh, I think there is an existing uh, record of bipartisanship on the Foreign Relations Committee and, and where I think there is a commonality of interest uh, between senators that in some ways may have been uh, strengthened or sharpened by ways in which President Trump um, has um, started on a course that is in real tension with the positions that leaders uh, in uh, foreign policy and national security have taken over several administrations, Republican and Democrat. Uh, so now that we know uh, that uh, Secretary Mattis is the Secretary of Defense and Secretary Tillerson is the Secretary of State, um, I think we have some reason to be optimistic that they will steer back towards the sort of center point uh, of what has been a decades-long consensus on internationalism and engagement in the world. Um, we don't yet know uh, who will be USAID Administrator or Assistant Secretary for Africa, um, so one of the points I made about U.S.-Africa policy and development assistance, I don't think we can really assess yet. Um, but I do think um, I do think we have to be optimistic. Look, I couldn't get on a 625 train and uh, commute down to Washington every day from Delaware if I weren't optimistic. So um, we have to choose to believe uh, that the forces in the Senate that pull us towards each other will ultimately be stronger than the forces that push us apart. So Ben Wittes here, can I ask you to amplify on an aspect of that answer? You, um, you said that there are uh, uh, bipartisan relationships in the Senate that have been strengthened by the process of reacting to some of the uh, peculiarities of the last two weeks. And, uh, and I expect by that you mean also the several months before that in the transition. But I'm, I'm interested in what are the areas where you've seen sort of Republicans, uh, uh, you know, in, in, you know, more reinforced or reinforced in their uh, uh, interest in the themes that you're talking about because of the way the administration has talked and behaved. Well, I'll give you a few quick examples, if I might. Um, Senator McCain, a Republican of Arizona, and Senator Reid, Democrat of Rhode Island, uh, the chair and ranking on armed services, uh, picked up the phone and called Australian Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull um, to reassure him about our support for our alliance with Australia, our gratitude uh, for their long and sustained and close partnership with us uh, in counterterrorism, national security, and regional leadership uh, after President Trump had um, a difficult, even a disastrous call uh, with the Australian Prime Minister. Um, Senator Lindsey Graham, Republican of South Carolina, joined uh, Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, a Democrat of Rhode Island, uh, in announcing a joint investigation uh, into Russia's cyber attack on our election. Uh, they're using a subcommittee of the Judiciary Committee, on which I serve, um, to conduct a, an appropriately uh, sort of detailed and formal review into Russian actions 
um, that were undermining our democracy and our democratic process in the last election. Um, Senator Cory Gardner of uh, Colorado joined with me uh, in uh, introducing a bill to create a new Senate Select Committee on Cybersecurity, which would deal with some of the ways in which cybersecurity is stovepiped um, among and between at least five different full committees of the Senate and create a new uh, permanent select committee to deal with these issues uh, going forward. So that's that's just a few examples. Um, as I think I've referenced before in this article and elsewhere, my first four years as a senator, I chaired the Africa subcommittee. Johnny Isaacson was my ranking a Republican senator from Georgia. And we worked very well together uh, and managed to have a whole series of hearings, uh, introduce legislation, uh, work together on issues like a GOA reauthorization. Um, and I think the current uh, chair and ranking, Senator Flake of Arizona, Senator Booker of New Jersey, uh, with support from Senator Isaacson and myself, will also continue to do strong bipartisan work in U.S.-Africa relations uh, from diplomacy to development to security issues. Senator Coons, this is uh, Tamara Wittes. I, I'm struck by the first example that you cited because um, I, I know that you've spent uh, a good bit of time in, in your years in the Senate so far going on CODELs, traveling abroad, uh, visiting the troops, doing site visits to development projects. Um, and, uh, and I wonder how much you think the Senate, Democrats and Republicans, can compensate for diplomatic missteps by the executive branch. What's, what's the appropriate role for senators there? Well, Tamara, you're right in that in my first few years, I thought it was important uh, to go on bipartisan codels. Uh, my very first trip overseas as a senator was with Senator Bob Corker, uh, as well as Senators Manchin and Sanders, to uh, Pakistan, Afghanistan, uh, to Jordan, to Israel. Uh, and my relationship with Senator Corker, who's chair of foreign relations, uh, is rooted in that uh, travel experience together, uh, the extent to which uh, he really impressed me with his preparation, his thoroughness. And I think that is one of the roles that the founders imagined for the Senate, uh, that we would have long terms, that we would develop interpersonal relationships, that we would uh, become in some ways a bulwark against an overreaching uh, executive. Uh, and so I think the relationships that many of us have built with each other, um, that I've also built with Senator McCain and Senator Graham in joining bipartisan codels with them to the Middle East, uh, would actually strengthen our ability um, to act in concert, um, to assert um, the priority of long-standing understandings and relationships. So, for example, very soon after the election, uh, Senator McCain and I and a number of other senators and congressmen went to Halifax in Nova Scotia to Canada uh, to a security conference. And I was up all night the first night uh, meeting with Ukrainians, uh, with leaders from Baltic states, uh, with leaders from countries uh, alarmed and concerned about the things um, President Trump had said in the course of the election. Um, so I do think it is possible for senators in a bipartisan way to reassure our vital allies, um, to reassure our partners in NATO, uh, our partners who are on the front line against Russian aggression like the Ukrainians, uh, our partners in the Pacific, um, the Australians or the South Koreans or Japanese, um, it, it is really striking just how much work uh, uh, President Trump has created for us in this department in uh, just two weeks. Um, I'll remind you, I think it was literally his first day um, after the election, he um, really sort of uh, stuck a cattle prod into our relationship with the People's Republic of China 
by suggesting, um, after taking a call from the president of Taiwan, that he might overturn you know, 40 years of U.S.-China policy, uh, and I think he hasn't slowed down uh, since. Um, it is entirely possible that one consequence of having Donald Trump as president um, is that we will see uh, a renewed relevance, um, a renewed uh, vigor in the United States Senate. So perhaps at the same time that he's working to make America great again, um, we, in coming together to oppose some of his initiatives, uh, will help make Congress work again or make Congress great again. Senator Coons, this is Susan Hennessy. Um, so sort of uh, one thing that we've talked about a little bit on rational security is um, some of the ways in which traditional foreign policy um, sort of surprises ordinary Americans, right? So um, it, it strikes some people as sort of silly that we would worry about what pronoun to use whenever we talk about the president of Taiwan or or what our relationship with Saudi Arabia might look like, um, right? Sort of communicating that degree of, of nuance and, and how complex this area is. Uh, it's. I think that's one of the things that's been a struggle uh, as sort of President Trump has adopted uh, uh, really dramatic uh, sort of breaks with uh, not just conservative uh, or liberal policies, but sort of uh, core American understanding about what our foreign policy interests look like. Um, whenever you think about communicating either to your own constituents or just talking to the public about foreign policy in general, uh, has your strategy changed? Sort of how do you how do you think through those issues? Well, Susan, you ask a good question about uh, whether um, the sophistication, the complexity of communication in diplomatic circles easily translates uh, to a campaign environment and with a president who is unprecedented in his use of 140-character missives uh, to light up the world. Um, we are in a somewhat different environment. Um, I have to recognize that um, President Trump is president in no small part uh, because a few hundred thousand voters across several states uh, were convinced that his boldness, his bluntness, his willingness to break from traditions and norms um, offered change, uh, change that they uh, viewed as advancing their interests. Um, so we can't just dismiss the idea that uh, the American people uh, understood something more profound uh, about our role in the world and um, their yearning for change. It is striking, particularly in the world of diplomacy, uh, national security, global affairs, that Donald Trump's opponent in the campaign, um, Hillary Clinton, was arguably one of the most prepared candidates ever uh, to be a leader on the world stage. She had studied and engaged in diplomacy literally for decades. Um, she was a tireless and active and, I think, effective uh, Secretary of State. Um, she could have told you off the top of her head the names of um, heads of state of a majority of the world and probably told you lengthy stories about recent visits, current issues and concerns, dynamics within the country. I suspect Donald Trump would have struggled uh, to name more than a dozen um, heads of state from around the world. Um, so it is striking how big the gap was in their um, skills, their craft, their grasp of these issues, and it is somewhat depressing uh, to recognize that millions of American voters nonetheless chose um, someone to be our president who, um, whose grasp of foreign policy and grasp of the nuances of diplomacy is quite different. The reality, though, um, is that you know, we face a, a difficult, complex, and divided world. Um, the American people, um, through a free, fair, and open election, are entitled to their, um, their choice. Um, and those of us now in the Senate... 
um, have to follow, I think, our role, as the founders envisioned it, um, in acting somewhat as a, a speed bump or, in some cases, a block uh, to some of the uh, less well-considered initiatives of this president. Um, the travel ban, um, some would call it a Muslim ban, that was one of his very first executive orders, I think, uh, is sort of plaintiff's exhibit A um, in the case against having an inexperienced president um, sort of thrashing about like a bull in a china shop in world affairs. And fortunately, we have a district court and now likely, I think, a circuit court uh, in the state of Washington and in the western region of our country um, that will put some check on President Trump's actions. Um, the responses from Iraq, from Yemen, uh, from other vital Muslim and Arab allies suggest that this travel ban overreached, um, was not well vetted, uh, and will lead us into places um, of real tension and discord with some of our vital allies in the fight against ISIS. Um, so I think we've already got a record in just two weeks from this president of how he might mobilize and engage um, folks in the Senate, um, how he will uh, hopefully be successfully constrained by the judicial branch, um, and what the path forward may look like. Uh, what we don't know is how he will respond, what he will do next, if his executive orders, uh, if his uh, nominees or his legislative initiatives are thwarted by either uh, judges uh, or senators. And can I just ju jump in, because I know Ben wants to ask you a question, but on that's just Shane, on that one point, how concerned are you that if he uh, is blocked, if the courts rule against him, uh, that he might simply try to ignore the orders? I mean, it's a bit of a, of a nightmare hypothetical that we would have a constitutional crisis where the president would simply choose to ignore the judicial branch, but are, are you concerned about that? Is that something that, that you're realistically contemplating could come to pass? Uh, of course, I think we should all be concerned about that. Um, there is uh, an historical antecedent for it. As you know, President Jackson famously challenged the Supreme Court and said, where is their army? Um, that was um, you know, more than 160 years ago, I think. Um, and it is uh, my hope and expect expectation that President Trump and leaders of the executive branch uh, will respect and closely follow judicial orders. Um, but he has already engaged in a troubling series uh, of tweets and remarks and speeches where he has uh, challenged or undermined or mocked uh, the district court judge in the Western District of Washington, uh, the Ninth Circuit panel. Um, and this is the first time that his power as president has been challenged or checked uh, by a court. Um, I don't know what his uh, trajectory might be. Uh, president Obama, you know, uh, famously himself, a professor of constitutional law, um, issued a whole series of fairly broad and far-reaching, uh, and to him important, uh, executive orders that were then um, slowed or thwarted or blocked altogether by uh, district and circuit uh, courts, and he respected that. Uh, I think we need to be vigilant in watching closely to make sure that the Trump administration respects the rule of law, respects the separation of powers, um, and understands and embraces the fact that to the extent American democracy teaches to the world um, how we resolve conflicts peaceably and um, respectfully, uh, given our constitutional order, um, that we must insist on his maintaining that most central uh, underpinning of our constitutional order. So, Senator, you uh, mentioned earlier uh, 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 Senators Graham and Whitehouse teaming up on uh, Russia hacking investigation in addition 
uh, uh, Senator McCain is certainly committed to it on, on the Armed Services Committee. Uh, I'm interested in the question from your perspective of how confident you are that the Senate institutionally is committed to fully investigating uh, what happened during the last uh, election and what ongoing uh, Russian uh, interference there may be in Western European de democratic politics and in our own uh, democratic politics into the future. Is this something that you look around uh, a Republican-controlled Senate and say, uh, you know, whatever our political disagreements, my colleagues are behaving like patriots here, and I'm confident we'll do everything the Senate needs to do or could reasonably do to get to the bottom of what happened? Or do you look around and you say, I have anxieties about whether the uh, the Senate institutionally is going to do everything that it needs to do? I am very concerned about this uh, for two reasons. One is, uh, as I've already mentioned, the blizzard of activity uh, by the early Trump administration is distracting. Um, senators, both supporters of President Trump and his opponents, uh, have been careening between different Senate uh, confirmations, uh, challenges through executive orders, uh, marches and rallies, uh, interviews. And so um, I am concerned that there is already a diminution of focus on what is one of the most important strategic developments of recent years. The idea that our adversary, Russia, intentionally undermined our presidential election with a concerted um, campaign of cyber attacks, uh, disinformation, strategically timed news releases, and that that was done with approval at the highest levels in Russia with the intention to affect the outcome. Um, should itself be alarming enough, should itself be enough to have mobilized hearings in every relevant committee. Um, there are hearings in both the Intelligence Committee and the Judiciary Subcommittee I referenced before, but the Foreign Relations Committee has still not taken it up. Um, Armed Services, I think, has not done as much as it should. Um, and there are other committees where I think this could also be relevant. Um, the far more alarming uh, allegation that there was actual coordination between the Trump campaign uh, and uh, Russia in this effort to change the outcome of the presidential campaign um, should be chilling enough to mobilize every senator, um, at least to question what we need to do to secure our future elections, if not to review the consequences of our most recent election. Being a democracy where free, fair, and regular elections uh, can be counted on as a bedrock of our system is definitional for who we are as a republic. And that we seem to have moved past this point, partly because of the blizzard of recent news developments, and partly, frankly, because of the partisan lens um, with which this issue is being seen, gravely concerns me. Um, and if um, the chair and ranking um, Senators Burr and Senator Warner on the Intelligence Committee had not come to an agreement to proceed with an investigation, uh, I, for one, would have been jumping up and down on the Senate floor demanding it. Um, I hope that we do not lose focus on the importance and the centrality of getting to the bottom of this, of taking appropriate remedial action, and of showing the world um, that even in a divided and partisan period, we can act in concert in a way that is designed 
um, to repair this breach in the wall that is our democracy and our tradition of free and fair elections. Thank you, Senator Coons. If I may, this is Tamara. Just one last question about a subject that I know is, is dear to your heart. Uh, I believe you're a, a former Peace Corps volunteer and, uh, and you've paid a lot of attention to development issues over the course of your time in the Senate so far. Um, one thing that we know this administration is bent on is sending up a, uh, a very slim budget to, uh, to Congress for consideration. And uh, you also have a continuing resolution that runs out April 28th. And the administration has already put on the table the need to pay for a wall between the U.S. and Mexico, uh, desire for increased military spending, all of this putting a lot of pressure on the budget. Um, those of us who work these issues are hearing uh, panicked rumors about cuts to the Function 150 account, the foreign assistance uh, programs of, uh, of the State Department and USAID. And I wonder what you see forthcoming uh, in terms of foreign aid and, and how strong is the consensus uh, in the authorizing committee, your committee, and in the appropriations committee for keeping that uh, 50, $54 million, or sorry, $54 billion in the foreign yeah, assistance right, account? Right, yes. <laughs> uh, well, Tamara, that, that, that is a, um, a serious concern, I think, for all of us. Um, the 150 account, uh, the accounts out of which we uh, fund development and assistance uh, relief work around the world was already under significant pressure. Uh, as you know, I'm a member of the Appropriations Committee. I'm a member of the subcommittee responsible for uh, state and foreign operations, and that's where the 150 account gets its funding. Um, the Foreign Relations Committee, which is the authorizing committee, has been less active in this area, but the Appropriations Committee um, has had to act on it directly each of the years that I've served on appropriations. Um, there are obvious uh, big challenges in the gap that you identified between uh, President Trump's rhetoric on the campaign trail, his early promises as president, and budget reality. Um, and it is striking that he's chosen as his director of OMB um, someone who is uh, what I'd call a budget radical, someone who literally was willing to vote to shut the government down, um, has rarely, if ever, voted for a budget and who has views on how to slash federal spending uh, that are pretty concerning. So there was already reason to be worried about the 150 account um, under sequestration and in the, in, the, in the last administration, in this administration, uh, I think it's gonna be under real pressure. Um, I am grateful that Lindsey Graham, Senator of South Carolina, um, who chairs the State Foreign Ops Appropriations Subcommittee, um, is as positive and engaged uh, and clear-eyed about the value of uh, development assistance and diplomacy and relief as he is. Um, Lindsay, Senator Graham, um, sees the impact on um, fragile and failed states of our investment um, and sees our national security as being advanced not just by military action, um, but by effective, transparent, and responsible investment uh, in development. Um, it is my hope that Congressman Hal Rogers on the House side, who is the corresponding Appropriations Subcommittee Chair will also uh, take the same direction. Kay Granger, Congresswoman of Texas, uh, was his predecessor, and she was frankly terrific on this. Um, we have a whole generation of military leaders who have testified in front of appropriations and foreign relations who've said their experiences in Iraq and Afghanistan clarified for them how central to our security it is 
that we have effective uh, development and assistance programs. And it is my hope um, that uh, bipartisan work by Republicans and Democrats, um, and that a clear, strong voice on this uh, by Secretary Mattis and Secretary Tillerson will carry us through. In my meetings with now Secretary Tillerson privately before his confirmation hearing and in the confirmation hearing, I pressed him on his understanding of the importance um, of the non-military components of security, the diplomacy and development components of security, and I was encouraged by his answers. Uh, and I'm confident uh, that Secretary Mattis has the same view. Um, so hopefully um, their voices, when combined with bipartisan voices in the Senate, um, will sustain the 150 account, will sustain the account through which we fund uh, development and diplomacy, even in very difficult budget headwinds. Well, Senator, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Um, thank you for giving us some uh, reasons for optimism. It's nice to have. Uh, we've been in short supply lately. Uh, it was really great talking with you. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate the invitation. Look forward to being on with you again. All right. That went well. Yeah, it was good. It was interesting. He, uh, he made some news. I think he made some news. Uh, he faced a direct question of whether he had confidence in his colleagues that they would fully get to the bottom and of to the Senate's ability of the Russian hacking stuff. And he said he had grave concerns on that score. And I... I I think that's a remarkable statement. Well, I also think, I mean, there was a question of, you know, how, how sincere do you think they are in their intention to investigate this on the Republican side of the Senate? But I think he also made the point that there's just so much coming at them up there, and they are only 100 mostly guys, that um, – you know, he said they're distracted. And that's kind of an understandable problem. How do you maintain momentum on this? But but he expressed concerns on both points. Yeah. He, said, he said, you know, there's the drinking from the higher fire hose problem, but there's also the uh, the partisan problem. I mean, like, I think it speaks to uh, sort of the sad state of current affairs, right, that um, the Republicans have for the past two weeks, as, as we've seen sort of assault after assault on uh, some really pretty basic norms, uh, the independence of the judiciary, um, ethics rules, right, sort of across the spectrum. Um, we haven't seen uh, a lot of statements or, or objections coming from from that, uh, uh, that party in Congress. And, uh, you know, I, I think it's reasonable for their Democratic colleagues to sort of uh, look at them and say, you know, I I'm surprised here. I I'm maybe reevaluating some of my assumptions about uh, your commitments to some of the same things that that I'm committed to and that I, I thought we agreed on before. Yeah, well, he oh, go ahead, tomorrow. Well, I was going to say so much of, you know, these these relationships in the Senate and decisions that senators make on these issues is about, well, one day the shoe might be on the other foot. And, um, you know, we've seen that with the filibuster rule. We've seen it with judicial nominations. And this is a case where it's quite clear that if there's not sufficient investigation and understanding of the nature of the problem and, you know, uh, an effort to come up with new tools to defend against it, it, next time it could be the Republican Party that suffers from this rather than the Democratic Party. It could be any one of these individual senators who finds themselves targeted. And so it is a sort of there but for the grace of God go I issue. And it's surprising that that doesn't get more traction. And he did mention McCain and Senator Graham as being people who obviously have been on the side of pushing the Russia investigation. I mean, you probably, there seems to be like this, I don't, I don't want to say it's kind of what a growing sort of, you know, caucus within the Republican Party or group that's sitting in opposition to the president. But McCain, Graham, Sass, 
Collins. There are probably a few in there, right, who are not necessarily just dependable, go along with whatever the White House says, partisans. Um, so it seems like that's probably where, you know, Coons and Democrats are clearly making, trying to make some alliances. And he, you know, enumerated a few of those. So we'll see if those actually pay off. I think the other thing that came through in his comments is the extent to which pre-existing relationships across the aisle are coming into play in this moment of greater challenge. So, you know, the Senate is a smaller body, uh, he, but he talked about traveling with his Republican colleagues and kind of agreeing on certain common interests or common passions even that they, you know, in the face of these new circumstances, it sort of tests those relationships, but at least they've got the relationships. One thing I thought was was sort of an, an interesting reminder, and in some ways a, just a really nice reminder, um, that you know Congress and and the Senate in particular uh, doesn't just exist as a reactive body to to the White House, right? Their role is not just to sort of be partisan hacks. They actually have um, substantive agendas, right? Personal things that they care about, um, whether it's foreign policy or national security or tax reform or sort of you you name it um and uh what it's going to look like over the next four or eight years as uh, the senate uh, and individual senators work to accomplish that agenda and carry out sort of their vision and what they think their constituents elected them to do um and and how that interacts with you know a, a president who is constantly creating sources of distraction right um he talked about hey you know uh trump has created a lot of work uh you know there's already uh it's already difficult the time is time is kind of the most limited resource in the senate um and if they're spending a lot of time working on sort of reacting to whatever crazy tweet he's done, that's going to make it really hard to accomplish an agenda that I, I think it's fair to say that both Republicans and Democrats actually really care about. Can I tell you the, the question that, or the answer that I actually found the most distressing was the one where I, I teed up expecting him to say, no, 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 you're being ridiculous, uh, of what happens if Trump just says, Take your judicial order and shove it, basically. Uh, and he, you know, and he said, "No, actually, I have a lot of concern about what might happen. That he might actually do that. I mean, this is not, you know, this is a rational person. That's why we had him on the podcast. I mean, to hear a senator say that and to harken back to Andrew Jackson, and I have to imagine that there are that he is not unique in feeling this anxiety. Well, Andrew Jackson, right a portrait of whom now hangs in the Oval Office, oh, right? right? Yeah, yeah, yeah." yeah. Um, that was uh, that was sobering for there, sure. There were a bunch of sobering moments in that conversation, even if Senator Coons is wrong in his anxiety on all of those points. The fact that a a non shrill, sober, responsible senator feels that anxiety and it publicly expresses that anxiety is itself a a. a a probative of something about the atmosphere that we're in. Mind you, I don't think he's being uh, alarmist or unreasonable to be concerned on those. Before. But even, you know, even, even if he's wrong in every particular, the fact that he feels that way is itself significant. You know, I think too, though, um, he emphasized that the Senate has an independent role in foreign policy and national security. And that, in a sense, the the um, the nature of what he's seen from the Trump administration so far seems to have spurred not only the Democratic side of the aisle, but also some Republican senators that he named to play a more active role as 
diplomats. Um, and, you know, while acknowledging as he did the limits of that role, it's I, I expect that we're going to see a lot more of this, not not just calls to the Australian ambassadors sort of cleaning up after the horse, which are unfortunate, but but perhaps um, useful or even necessary. But I think we may see um, senators in particular traveling more globally, meeting more with foreign leaders, expressing their own sense of American interests and American policy and their own uh, their own trajectory, their own agenda, so that regardless of what the White House may say or do, there is another platform, another branch of government that is speaking on behalf of the United States to to foreign officials. And I think that I think we're going to see a lot more of that. And I also think it's an important thing to see at a moment when there's so much uncertainty around the world about where America stands on key issues of concern, about whether America is a reliable partner. It's not just reassurance, which is what Senator Coons mentioned, but there, you know, but there is actually an alternative foreign policy center in the system. I just want to say that I too did my part to clean up after uh, the president's horse on the Australia thing. I, I called the prime minister oh, um, and I, I reassured him. I'm sure he was him. very glad Say to hear from you. And, and I, I, the no, Independent Republic of Lawfare. Exactly. Of course, on behalf so of the Independent Republic of Lawfare. I also tweeted uh, under the notes from under Trump uh, uh, hashtag that- Which is um, excellent, by the way. Oh, thank you. I'm enjoying that. Um, which- um, I tweeted uh, that I was accepting nominations for the name of the first Australia-American war. Um, I I'm got, not sure that's reassuring, Ben. I got a huge number of great submissions, but the runaway winner was the that's not a knife. Yes. This is a knife <laughs> war. Ask, crocodile Dundee. Uh, <laughs> you know, I have to say that the plethora of Crocodile Dundee references over this yeah. incident just killed me. It made me feel so old. It also makes me reminds me that my entire understanding of Australia was and probably largely has been informed by the Crocodile Dundee movies. <laughs> I mean, I've read a lot since then. Our cultural it kind of stuck, though. Yeah, it really is. It really yeah. is. So I was actually substantively uh, reassured, even by the comments of um, you know, I, I, I agree. It's sort of right. It's, it's alarming to hear a senator say, "I don't know that the president of the United States will accept a judicial <laughs> decree." That itself is, is an alarming statement. I, I was actually really reassured uh, to hear Senator Coons make it um, because I think it represents a, a strategic shift um, and a shift that's necessary, and that's uh, members of of Congress not having any sense of naivete and and really uh, uh, understanding that the president of the United States does not um, is not entitled to the presumption of good faith um, or the presumption of uh, adherence to some of the same norms uh, or rule of law principles that all of the rest of us agree to, um, and that if uh, if we don't sort of shift into uh, being concerned, right, and and sort of acknowledging that some of our our basic assumptions about uh, the commitments of of White Houses, you know, of any party, um, uh, may be changed under this administration. And so, uh, in order to have a, a clear-eyed, effective response, either in constraining or or directing or I, I don't, you know, cleaning up after uh, what comes out of the White House, it's going to have to start with uh, you know a clear-eyed understanding that. 
you know, there are no rules anymore, <laughs> potentially, or, or that there'll only be rules if we insist on them. Yeah. Right. So it, it, it adds a dimension to congressional oversight, for sure. And the fact that in the midst of that reality, Senator Coons was able to maintain his faith in some degree of bipartisanship in that project, I personally found very helpful. So go clear-eyed bipartisanship. Yeah. <laughs> maybe a good week for that. We'll see. Um, okay, let's move on to object lessons. Uh, ben. Well, my object lesson uh, is a taco bowl. Did you bring one to share? I did not. They make the best Damn. ones in Trump Tower. No, they don't. So I walked into Susan's office yesterday, and uh, there was a large taco bowl sitting on her desk. It was Taco Tuesday. And, really um, right I'm so hungry. and there was a window in back of her. Um, which uh, looked out over the cityscape. And I looked at it, and uh, it just reminded me of something. So I told her that she needed to lean over the taco bowl while I snapped a picture of her and uh, give an inane grin, which she gamely did. And then she tweeted out, <laughs> Did she the put best this taco bowls are made <laughs> in the Brookings Inst Cafeteria. I right love now. Hispanics. Oh and, <laughs> and the Twitter reaction to this has been uh, just one of the great uh, – Things that has happened since the advent. Okay, of wait, 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 wait. We, we what should first note. Of her replies did not get the reference. Uh, a surprising amount. <laughs> so first, we should note for any <laughs> listeners that do not get the reference, that is a direct quote, except for the Brookings Institution substitution for Trump Tower, of an actual tweet that the President of the United States actually tweeted while he was uh, while he was campaigning. Um, and so actually, some of the, a lot of people obviously understood the reference, um, but a number of people didn't. Right? They they were sort of responded with like that so racist what's wrong with you <laughs> and then whenever i replied by just show it i just replied by linking to trump's original tweet the response was just like oh my god he said that right it's like who missed this it's a i don't know it a was, lot of people on twitter last it. cinco de mayo right well, oh my so god. The, the best so long long the best single response never was, forget the taco bowl the best single response was i am a taco bowl and i find this really offensive <laughs> Thank God some people on Twitter still have a sense of humor. Oh, my God. Oh my God. Anyway, uh, so Ben dared me. Please do not. <laughs> Please direct all outrage to him and not to me. Yeah, that's why it's my object lesson not exactly. Susan's. Well done. Well done. Uh, all right, Susan, you do have an all object right, lesson. I have an object lesson. And it's either an omen or good fortune. And you have to uh, – I need you all Could to Could it decide. be a good omen? Sure. Okay. Yeah, it could be a good. It's either it's an omen. It's a, right. it's a good omen or a bad omen. Gotcha. Um. So, <clears throat> we had a mouse in the house. Uh. Um. And before you get like think I like live in squalor or something. We live in like a hundred year old DC. No, you row live house. in the city. It's good you didn't have a rat in the house. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a little mouse. Um. Uh. And it's really really hard during the winter to like find every single little hole. It's been a, a quite an adventure. Um. I really do not like mice. Neither does my spouse. Um. <clears throat> so we've been setting traps like frantically. Um. Because we hadn't seen the mouse. We just like you know there was evidence right a, a little hole chewed here right um 
And so this very clever uh, mouse, we thought, um, was managing to like steal the food off the traps without getting caught in them, right? Because we were using these like dastardly mouse. It was like, right. And then the use of the traps were all single use. So he was like actually wasting my money, <laughs> uh, like destroying the traps. And so like this, as Quinta knows, because I've been complaining about this for like five or six days now, um, this mouse has been my nemesis, right? So we decided to go to war with the mouse um, and get the old-fashioned snap traps, right? Um, and so we were sitting downstairs uh, watching TV, and all of a sudden we heard a very loud snap. So we <laughs> looked at each other and thought, okay, we've got the mouse. Um, so we, my husband, uh, the, the braver of the two of us, uh, went to check the trap. It wasn't a mouse. It was two mice. <laughs> Double mice in a mouse trap. They must um, have been using teamwork to steal the food from the other mousetrap. I took it as like a sign we're going to die right? <laughs> of the apocalypse. Um, my husband the mice are getting smarter. Yeah, the second mouse. One. It's planet of the mice. Oh, my husband thinks that one, it's like it's like a good sign. Like it's like it's a blessing. Yeah, it's ca- killing two birds with one stone. It's like the loaves and fishes of mice traps. <laughs> He also suggested that it was romantic. Well, at least they died they together. together. <laughs> Romeo and Juliet. Anyway, so I'd be they interested. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, they were they were dead. Um, I'd be interested to know who nice. votes that this is um, a good sign of Hennessy family fortune, and who thinks it's. Rational Security will put up a Twitter poll on this question <laughs> so that you can vote. No, dude, you're no, living no. in a house full of dead mice. That's not a good thing. Susan, I'll just say this, <laughs> oh and I'm I'm sorry to say it, but if there were two, there are oh, many, many. No, more. there's been a there's been a very thorough inspection, including by a, a pest specialist. Oh, don't you worry, we are. We are all over it. Mice's days are numbered clearly because yeah. you have like you know weapons what mice of are? mouse destruction. Ma- in your mice, house. you're on notice. <laughs> <laughs> the mice are on notice. Season right. Ronnie and mice. I'm coming for you two at a time. Two at a time. <laughs> no prisoners. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of a very special episode of Rational Security. Rational Security is, of course, produced by Spaghetti on the Wall Productions. You can find our show archive at SpaghettiOnTheWallProductions.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at R-A-T-L Security. Send us your greatest, bestest taco bowls, mousetraps. Build a better mousetrap. Send us your questions, actually, because we're going to be doing, uh, by reader request, we're going to be doing a uh, Q&A session in the coming weeks. So tweet okay. questions at, uh, Rational, the, at Security. Rational Security at R-A-T-L Yeah, do Security. it. Security. Hit us up. And send us your senators. We love senators. Yeah. Call your senator. <laughs> Call your senators and ask to them to be on this show <laughs> or if they know any sponsors. If they have, Listen, if you have a friend who's a senator who also has a friend at Harry's Razors, <laughs> like <laughs> put it together, people. And, yeah. and by the way, Lindsey Graham... Come on the show. Come on the yeah, show. Come on. Because you, you, you really need to do rational security. You really security. need to come on. We, we, yeah, we'll even come to you. Like, we'll make it happen. Uh, and if you're Lindsey Graham or anyone else and you happen to be downloading the podcast, please give it a rating and a review. We would really appreciate it. Our audio engineer is Quinta Jurassic. Our producer and editor is Jen Howell. Our music was performed this week by Chris Coons and the Sober Senators. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I That's think good. it was, actually. That's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You could do that band. Or should we like Chris Coons and the Kitty Cats, the Kit Kat? No, no, the sober senators. Sober senators? Yeah. I like the alliteration. Yeah, double alliteration. Uh, and if they did have that band, you know, who'd be backing them up on keys, obviously. Sophia Yan. Uh, on behalf of my good friends, Ben Wittes, Tamara Kaufman Wittes, 
and Susan Hennessy. And with special thanks to Senator Coons, I'm Shane Harris, and we will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.